the fan. Just for you, your Minnesota Vikings get it done in, yes, improbable fashion over the Jets, 27-22. Nacho Lieber was there for all of it, doing his uh, usual crack sideline reporting via the Vikings Entertainment Network, fan radio network as well, and he's kind enough, brought to us by the Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, to uh, chat with us each and every Monday um, I'm going to read you an email. I, are you do you have, are you drinking anything right now, like coffee or you know uh, soda or even maybe like Sierra a, Nevada, a fine uh, Sierra Nevada? Uh, yeah, I just actually did um I did about five Sierra Nevadas <laughs> in a beer bong. All right, well, I just don't want you to spit up because I don't know how you'll feel about this comparison. But emailer Robert writes this in in preparation for your appearance today. I'll need some stats to back up my eye test on this, he writes. But speaking of defensive comparisons, didn't the 2009 Saints win the Super Bowl with largely the same blueprint with which the 2022 Vikings are winning now? Bounty gate aside, it sure seemed like the Saints were very opportunistic in winning games like the Vikings. Is that a, an astute uh, a comparison or an asinine one? Boy, I wish I had something to back that up too. I I don't think that the Saints defense was nearly as porous as ours is right now. I mean, that's a really easy stat to look up. It's just basically where they finished the regular season. I mean, yeah. we were we're what thirty first going into the, this last game, and we might be thirty second. We yeah. might be dead last. That's true. Defense. Right. Um, so we could probably point to other metrics of how well we've been playing in the red zone lately, and all those things, and takeaways, and that's. Those are big things to talk about because those are difference-making plays. But when it comes to total defense, I I don't think that the Saints were dead last. All right, I'll double-check that while I get your answer to this follow-up question because I had started Friday's show um, suggesting that this is the week I want to see the defense uh, tighten things up a bit. And I was, like I said, like a lot of folks, um, I understood the other aspects, bend but don't break, can work to a degree. But I thought, okay, these yardage totals are getting too big. It's getting a little out of hand here. And even the coordinator had said, giving up too many of the big plays, we got we to gotta tighten this thing up. Uh, we didn't really see any signs of that. Again, effective and clutch in the red zone, very much so, against a backup quarterback. But I'll just ask you point blank. As good as this ride has been, is it sustainable for the Vikings to make a run if they're playing defense at the level at which they're currently playing? it? I, I mean, objectively, um, I, I wouldn't think that there's a high probability that you're going to win a lot of championships being the last-ranked defense. So, I, I mean, am I am I bullish on the fact that we have a winning culture. We're finding ways to win. We're resilient. We're gritty. We're, we're all of that. Yes. I, I mean, that's, that's true. I mean, we're 12 games into the season and I think, you know, we kind of are who we are right now. And, and I know that everybody's going to make some, you know, minor improvements and, you know, minor changes here and there as they get ready to close out the season and go in the playoffs. But I think we have a pretty good sense of who every team is right now and what their identity is. And if our de- our identity is, 
we just find ways to win. Mm-hmm. Well, sure. I mean, that's there's a lot of ways to win championships. There's a lot of ways uh, to skin a cat, and maybe this is our way to do it. But, you know, looking at historical perspective, it's going to make it really hard, and I think we're going to have to rely on, you know, much more luck than maybe some other teams in the past if our defense keeps playing the way they keep playing. Uh, for the record, we, we are still 31st in uh, yards allowed a game. The Lions are at 402.2. We are at 398.7 for the record. Uh, The Seattle Seahawks are next at 382.9 for the record as well. So part of, you know, Ben, but don't break that I think gets misunderstood is if indeed you're able to make a play in the back end more times than not, you can survive to a large extent and you can win a lot of games and maybe you can make, a bit of a run. But I think we shouldn't forget that the problem with bending to the degree that we're currently bending is and also even if there's not points at the end, it does prevent the offense, your own offense from having the ball. So I think that's where to me it's got to be tightened up some. And I don't know what the answer is. Maybe you can speak to when you're watching it, you see, okay, here's two or three tweaks that I think might be worthy of our trying, whether it's more blitzing, whether it's playing, I don't know, more zone, less zone. Um, what what stands out to you? Well, you know, what stands out to me, and, I, and I'll even correct myself on this, you know, when the game ended yesterday and even in, into this morning before I really had a chance to go back and, and watch some of the, the game back, I, I didn't think that – I thought we were more conservative when it came to bringing pressure in the second half, and that's actually not the case. I mean, we, we several times we brought – five-man pressures and and we were uh, trying to do things creatively to get after the quarterback and whether it's bringing Hicks off the edge and Zadarius over the A-gap or you know we're lining, lining up both Zadarius and Daniil on the A-gaps and bringing another linebacker off the edge I mean we were trying to do those things even in the second half so I think it just looked like that because it was for the most part ineffective and then it was overshadowed by all the big plays and that's where I think this bend but don't break mentality doesn't necessarily apply to our defense right now because bending and not breaking into my mind is making the teams go on these long, arduous sort of ah, dink yeah. and dunk sort of deals. Yeah, and when you get a you get a running back to go around the edge for fifty yards or whatever it was that Bam Knight went for because one of our linebackers doesn't see a center pull and we're short a gap on the outside. That's not that's not bending. That's giving up an explosive play. Um, you know, when we, we bring a little bit of pressure, we bring a five-man pressure, and our, our nickelback misses a tackle because it looks like he was maybe going to swipe at the ball or something, um, and that turns a 12-yard play into a 60-yard play. That's, that's not necessarily bending. You know, that's, that's giving a big chunk explosive plays. So it's, um, it's just mistakes. You know, it's big just kind of mental errors in critical situations. Um, that's hurting us and it's coachable but again after 12 games it's kind of like guys you know you got to figure this out I don't necessarily think it's all in the defensive coordinator it's guys just need to execute it's a great point uh, because and and this is what I think even from the coordinator there was there was concern about the big plays that had been given up even going into this game that's where I think he said we do have to tighten it up I'm looking at a box score from yesterday for example and I'm looking for longs, as in uh, rushing and receiving uh, on the Jets' side, and I see a 48 yards. I see a 60 yards. I see a 31 yards and another 
31 yards. To your point, those are exp- that's a lot of explosive plays. Now, we know it's all offense-based and everything, the way the league is set up, but that's too many of the kinds of plays. And as you say, the, the true bend but don't break is just make them the death from a thousand cuts. You know, make them go six yards and three yards and four yards and hope for the, the, an illegal procedure penalty and a holding penalty and it'll all catch up with them because it's going to take them, you know, 18 minutes and 18 plays to get down the field. That That's not what we're seeing right now. No, that's not what we're seeing. And a lot of times the mentality is, you know, we're going to make them earn it. And then, you know, I used this analogy, I think, last week in the in, you just want to keep the ball in play and hope that they make the mistake. And that's usually what happens when you're asking the offense to string together many plays, whether it's pre-snap penalties, whether it's a holding penalty to set them back behind the chains. That's kind of what you want them to do. You want to mentally break them, and you want to feel like you're in control defensively. And I think with all the explosive plays that we're giving up, it doesn't feel like the defense. So, again, I, I, I don't know what the term is, but this whole bend but not breaking doesn't really apply to us. I think it's we are being more opportunistic because yes. we are making the plays that we're making in the red zone to stop some of those those big cuts. But no, we're getting sliced and diced at times. You know, <laughs> offenses are just kind of taking it to us, and and it just seems like, all right, well, we need to make a play, and they do it. But it's not necessarily the way that you want defense to be played. Uh, opportunistic to the point also of being tied for fourth in the league at, with 20 takeaways. That's a good thing. Uh, that is certainly a way you can compensate for giving up the yardage that you're giving, even if you'd rather not uh, give it up. Um, I want to ask you about Daniil. Um, we were talking about this earlier. I'm not convinced. And, you know, again, it sounds like I'm talking about a losing team. They're 10-2. and two. We're going to get to some some things on the offensive side of the ball and to the more positive. But I, I'm i very curious to get your view as a defensive guy on Daniil because I don't sense that in this new defensive approach we're getting much bang for the buck on Daniil. Am I underselling what he's giving from a subtle standpoint? Or how is that? How is the Daniil marriage with the new defense going, do you think? Well, I mean, clearly it's not been going the way we expect it to. I mean, he still made some impactful plays yesterday. I mean, he had a nice quarterback hit kind of late in the, you know, in the fourth quarter. I believe it was on a third and 10, and it was um, the ball was uh, – it looked like one of those balls that we didn't know if it was a fumble or an incomplete pass, but it was Daniil in the A-gap, as I kind of referenced earlier. I don't know – you know, at the beginning of the season, I was like, well – Maybe he's just not comfortable as a stand-up two-point guy. We we got to get him with his hand back on the ground, make him look like more of a four-three defensive end, um, and that sort of happened a little bit. But now you start to see him all over the line of scrimmage, and I don't know. Now it's like, is it too much? Yeah. You know, do, are are we asking him to to put his hand as a as a uh, sort of a nose guard in passing situations and rush over the center? Is that utilizing his strengths the best? You know, it doesn't seem like he's the most comfortable with a two-point stance. And then we're also not getting a lot of opportunities, I think, across the board um, to play with a lead and and really and really get after the quarterback sometimes, whether we're bringing a blitz or a pressure, because every game just seems to be so close. And all these offenses are kind of have a balanced attack, even late in the game. He is Ben Lieber, Nacho Lieber via Twitter, joining us this afternoon on the fan. We'll replay our interview with Patrick Peterson later in the 5 o'clock hour, 520 Sports Fix coming up with a lot of big sports headlines that Garzi is putting together as well. The, the offense, as it has often, went silent in quarter number three. 
they're struggling. They can't really seem to get much of anything going. And then they get to that place where we need a drive, and Cousins goes 5 for 5, 62 yards, and hits uh, the J.J., who had been you know not as huge a factor as he'd been in more previous games, to put us up 27-15. So what did you see? What clicks in? Because this has been a, speaking of characteristics, it's been a characteristic of this club where you go, there's not much sign that they're going to be able to wake up the echoes of a good first half offensively because it looks like there's, they're limping and struggling along. And then, like, you know, a, a flick of the switch, they get the drive that they need to either build a bigger lead or, in other cases, to actually, you know, take the lead. Um, how did that happen again yesterday? What what did you see that, that, that changed, and what do you make of that? Well, I thought we did a really good job coming out. I think the first two drives, our first down plays were great. I, I think we were the first two drives, I think we were sitting at second, second and two or second and three on both of those drives. That's, that's excellent. You're getting seven, eight yards on first down. I, I mean, that's, you're starting off the way you want to. Um, we get blitzed, we get blitzed on one drive, uh, one second down play and it kind of, you know, like, okay, we kind of got stagnated there. And then the third down play just doesn't come to fruition. They get the next series. Um, I think, you know, again, second down, not successful. And that's not all bad. You're like, okay, well, it's third and short, basically. And I think that's the one where Kirk overthrows Hawkinson, mm. which was a beautifully designed play. And, you know, I don't know what was going on with Kirk yesterday. He just, I don't know if he got hit early on and just wasn't stepping into throws. But there were several throws where he had the protection. Now, it was, you know, kind of bearing down on him. But we've seen the toughness out of Kirk to stand in there and take a shot. Uh, that one to Hawkinson, he was thrown off his back foot when he didn't even need to. You know, he he very easily could have stepped into that and made more of a clean throw. So again, it's just miss execution at certain times. Um, and I think the next series we took a set and end up taking two sacks. Um, you know, in those situations. So it's I don't know what it is. It is you know Adam Thielen was on with us on the power trip this morning, and he you know sort of just alluded to the fact that. You know, we just have to come out with a better sense of urgency sometimes out of out of halftime. And you reference that seven-play, 75-yard drive where we end up scoring, and there was sort of an uptick in tempo and urgency. And I don't know if that's something they're talking about on the sidelines of like, okay, guys, like we now we have to kick it in the butt. But again, after 12 games and it's the same situation, I don't know what it's going to take for them collectively, all 11 guys, to play with that sense of urgency and their hair on fire out of halftime. I, I don't know if, you know, again, if Osamoa has to get his boombox out at halftime and, and start pumping the music, you know, two minutes, three minutes before they go out on the field. But it, it's, it's frustrating because we can all see when they play with that sense of urgency, they can rail off, you know, chunk yards at a time and make scoring look so easy. Is there value to mastering the art of playing in and finding ways to win the close game? I had mentioned if you go back before, well, long before your time to the, the 1998 Vikings team, which I'm sure you've heard a lot about, the record-breaking Randy Moss team, uh, Randall Cunningham at QB, um, that was a dominant club. And I always felt when I looked back at their inability to get to the Super Bowl that they got into a scrum 
against Atlanta in the NFC title game. And it was almost like they didn't know what the hell to do because they had been so dominant. I, I did some numbers. At this point, 12 games in, the 98 Vikings uh, diff, point differential was plus 174. Of course, the Vikings, it's plus 10 this year. And I I, I guess I ask that all, I, I say that as a preamble to, do you buy the notion that then if a team, even a flawed team, continually seems to find ways to win games like this where they're in the scrum to the end and it's tight to the end that it can serve their purpose, that it can build and you gain confidence from it and it gives you a better chance to go go places? Or do you say, come on, you've got to dominate a few teams because you can't always count on the fact that it's going to go your way in the close game when you get to the postseason. What do you think? Well, I think that I think that learning how to win and all that resilience and never losing faith and having confidence for four quarters and having that thick skin, I think absolutely matters. I mean, I know that there's stylistically, there's a difference in play, but when the San Francisco 49ers are just a middling good, but not great team, but they're everybody's darling this year until Garoppolo got hurt yesterday about, well, you just wait to the playoffs. If they're just good enough to get in the playoffs, they're playoff driven team. Why? Because, A, they're physical, I get that, but they know how to play close games. They know how to grind out games. They know how to suffocate you. They know how to, like, not give up. I don't think that's much different than our team. You know, again, stylistically, a little different, but still, I think in the playoffs, you're not going to have a lot of blowout games. You're not going to have, I don't think that we're going to have a Vikings-Cowboys game that we had a couple weeks ago happen in the playoffs. It just doesn't happen. The games are close. They're nail-biters. It's almost like the team with the more intestinal fortitude and the guys that can rise up and not shrink under the pressure of the big lights and the pressure, that's the teams that end up winning. We've done that all season long. So, to yeah, to your point, I think it's really valuable in, in learning how to win and knowing what it feels like to win. It's a skill. There's no, I don't think there's any question about that. And we've certainly been around Vikings teams where they've not met, mastered that a particular skill, and we've ripped them for it. So you got to give them some credit, as you say, for figuring that out even if some of the numbers are a bit uh, on the alarming side. Uh, do we have a, a Sierra Nevada Brewing Company unsung hero of the game? We do. My Wild Little Things player of the game is going to go to Eric Kendricks. Hmm. Um, again, not a super splashy game, but he led the team in tackles. I think he had 14 tackles. Um, I think that he, you know, he really brought the lumber a few times. I mean, there is one play that he... He hit Bam Knight uh, over by their sideline that I was like, dang. <laughs> I mean, it was just, it was a, a stone cold stunner that he put on the guy. And um, I think, you know, even Bam was a little surprised at how hard he got hit. And he's a thick guy that um, usually falls forward. And he just kind of stopped in his tracks and fell down. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I think that, you know, we didn't call his name a lot for any splashy plays. I mean, certainly guys uh, made a lot of big plays. I don't want to discredit that. To me, it was really a role-playing day type of type of deal for a lot of players. KJ had a great game. I thought, obviously, Jalen Rager having that huge pass down the middle of the field, and then uh, and then Patrick Jones. Um, you know, he had the sack in a TFL as well. So some of the guys you weren't really counting on stepped up big. But I think, you know, having Kendricks lead the defense and tackles was big. Uh, you mentioned the Niners. We were talking about them earlier. I I I have been in that group that that really likes that team, and I think you've nailed a lot of why because there is a toughness to them, and they do know how to to grind some things out. Although at times they've been more dominant than than the Vikings, although they also have two more losses. So 
Now they lose Jimmy G. Um, they survived it nicely against Miami, but it's difficult for me to believe that without an established QB that they can be that dangerous postseason threat that a lot of us were projecting them to be. So are they eliminated? Are they off the list of dangerous teams uh, w- w- without their quarterback? Yeah, I don't, I don't see... I don't see how they can really do a lot of damage in the playoffs. I mean, they all of a sudden now become the Denver Broncos where there's some talent there on offense and they've got a really, really good defense that I think at times is is fearful when teams are playing them. But, you know, having all defense and no offense can only take you so far. Now, if Brock Purdy can play the, the way that he played yesterday, then maybe I'll be eating my words, but I just... I don't see a young guy being in, in those situations, a playoff situation, um, really doing a lot of damage. Uh, but again, it's it's the Shanahan factor. You've got these other weapons. They very easily could just say, hey, man, we're going to simplify this whole thing for you. You know, it is going to be really quick, creative ways to get the ball out of your hands. And they've got a bunch of athletes that they can use in space. So I may be eating my words, but I just don't think that a, a young, inexperienced quarterback is going to take them that far. Excellent work again this week, Nacho. It was good seeing you at the ball yard yesterday, and we will uh, chat next week after the Lions game. Yeah, man, it was great. It was great meeting your family. Obviously, you hear a lot about them, so I hope uh, hope everybody had fun at the game. They had a one. They had a blast. They had an absolute blast. It was uh, it was as good as I could have hoped. Yeah, good deal, man. Thanks, good man. Talking to you. Be good. We'll talk next week. That is Nacho Lieber, Ben Lieber, who joins us each and every Monday. After Vikings games, uh, Garzi has some an interesting stat related to those uh, that comparison between the current Vikings defense and the 2009 Saints defense that might be rather intriguing to the uh, emailer who brought it up and many of our other listeners, and that'll also help us lead into a 5:20 sports fix. Top five at five will be coming to 5:20. Well, actually, closer to 5:25 now. Uh, we'll give you the uh, some of the the uh, key sports headlines, key sports talkers. As we like to say of the day, we will uh, chat once again or replay our discussion, our weekly discussion with Patrick Peterson, probably about 5.50 or so. Just in case you missed it, it's the top five sports talkers of the day. Now, it's time for Dan Barrero's top five at five, driven by Borton Volvo. Safety has never looked so good. 2009 New Orleans Saints, for the record, because our emailer was comparing that defense to ours, not being all that, I guess you could say stout statistically, but very resourceful, that team wasn't finding ways to win. 2009 Saints ranked 25th in yards allowed. We are currently ranked 31st, so it's in the ballpark. They ranked 13th in points against, and that's where it gets funky because I think we have dropped to either 22 or 23 in the league in points allowed. And I think we're at like 23-3 now. The only good team that's anywhere near our area code is Kansas City. And I think that's a bad comparison because it's Mahomes, it's the Chiefs, it's all that pedigree. So I I, I, I don't think this is being, well, too bad of this is being too negative. 10-2 is nice. It really is. We've talked about the resourcefulness of this team, finding ways to win, but you're asking for trouble when you can't, you're not in the even the upper half of the National Football League in points a lot. The other difference between this team and the 2009 
New Orleans Saints team. Do you remember where the New Orleans Saints offense finished in 2009? I'm going to guess top five. To quote Pat Kessler in scoring offense, number yeah, one. Well, that's Vikings were number two with Favre, 470 points. The Saints scored 40 more points, though, than the Vikings during the regular season, 510. Wow. So that factors into it as well. And like the yardage, for example, you know, they're 25th in yards defensively, but you got to imagine there's a lot of empty calories there, too, with yeah, the Saints that's, and that's true. and everything that was going on there. Yeah, we are looking for, if you look at like the other top teams in terms of defensive stats, points allowed, the Niners are number one. They're giving up, they're giving up 15.8 a game. That is more than a touchdown less than us at 23 3. Uh, Dallas is third in points allowed. Buffalo is fourth in points allowed. The Jets are sixth in points allowed. The Eagles are eighth. And you could say, well, that's not great, but that's at least, you're talking about top 10 of your, your good teams. Almost every good team other than Kansas City is in the top 10. And Kansas City, you're talking about, you know, like I said, one of the most dangerous offenses ever devised. So we... We need to we need to get that. The question is, can we? Do we have it in us to make a, 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 enough of a change there? They're going to have to up the ante in that regard. May we do some on air collaboration? Yes. Let's break here and come back with the five thirty five sports fix. It's probably a good idea. We break. We're we don't want to get too far behind with Patrick Peterson again at the uh, top of the six o'clock hour. And I can give you a, a rightful tease. All right, let's do that. We've got wild to get to. We've got a wolves, red hot wild. We've got a wolves fine to get to. Uh oh. If you bought. A Louisa Rise jersey, one of the new jerseys at the Twins Majestic store. I hope you kept the receipt. And what did the Baldali Lama say today in San Diego about Carlos Correa? That's a good tease. Thank Those you. are a series of good, decent teases. I, I, I appreciate it. I'm that. hoping that will bring people back after a short pause. The fan. Just in case you missed it, it's the top five sports talkers of the day. Now, it's time for Dan Barrero's Top 5 at 5, driven by Borton Volvo. Safety has never looked so good. Big one tonight, National Football League. The New Orleans Saints traveling to Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay, to take on the single and eligible Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, they're still under 500, aren't they? They're aren't five, the Bucks and five and six. They are. But they're going to win the division, aren't they? I don't know. Probably. Who's going to beat them out? And if they win tonight, yeah, probably. It'd open up a commanding lead <sighs> over the Atlanta Falcons. All right. Uh, 520 sports fix starts at 536. Why not? We've altered some things before. Absolutely. Let's start, believe it or not, with the Minnesota Twins. Baseball winter meetings underway in San Diego. And Dan Hayes from The Athletic, was he nominated for Sports Writer of the Year? Well, if he writes for The Athletic, they, they had like eight nominees, I know. so I guess the answer is yes. And Gleeman wasn't this year, even though he won it last year, yeah. so maybe Hayes got the nod this year on the baseball side of things. But this is what um, Hayes wrote six hours ago. Luis Arise could be traded this offseason, but only in the right deal. <laughs> That's I love that. Uh, no, it's going to be a bad deal. According to sources familiar with the team's thinking, unlike most recent winners, the Twins already feel prepared for next season as it pertains to their starting rotation. I'll pause. What? Well, hold on. Yeah, that's why I wanted this. I wanted to pause. Well, well, then why would we consider dealing him? With three veteran starters headed for free agency next offseason, the team's confidence only extends through October. Unless they're signed long term, Sonny Gray, Kenta Maeda, and Tyler Malley 
could be gone by 2024. So the club's future instability in the rotation currently leaves members of the Twins front office in an unenviable position where they have discussed the possibility of trading the 2022 American League batting champ. I'm all confused. I uh, So it's not necessarily for next year that they feel like they need starting rotation. We're all set help. for next year, huh? According to them. And Gray, Maeda, Malley. I, I mean, I'll give you Gray. We'll see about Maeda. He hasn't we have pitched no in idea. 10 years. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, and so, but they, we have no re- idea on Malley in terms of health at this point. We had no idea on any of them. That's why I didn't even really um, bring no him up. no idea on any of them. That's why we should be thinking about not just two years from now, but next year, too. I said it earlier. I hate the message that this conveys that the only way we can get real pitching is to trade away one of our only bona fide outstanding regulars. I, I don't want to turn our ice into an MVP candidate. I don't want to overstate you know how he, how good he is or his value, but come on, I, I just it's just to me you're uh, you're you're conveying a bad message. I said earlier, if you can get a guy who literally is viewed by a consensus of baseball insiders a number one starter, yeah, I probably would do that because we so rarely have had a number one starter and pitching still matters. But you know, and I know that's unlikely. So then you're back to you're going to send a, you're going to you're maybe be interested in a guy who's projected to be at number two. Who might be able to ascend to, to something else? I, I, um, I know we're afraid of free agency. Um, I know all the poll ads are deathly uh, terrified by the kind of money that might be involved, and I don't even know what's available in terms of ones via free agency that we're going to get to. I mean, let's face it: none of the big, you know, the biggest yeah, of the big, we're not going to get. We were not really, even a factor. We don't even check. Verlander in on that. didn't need. Did Verlander look at us? Did we look at him? I don't think so. Uh, two years, $86 million with the Mets, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Two years, 86 Think about that. $43 million a year. Well, that's actually, my, it might be a bargain for Verl- so. Verlander. Yeah. It's possible. His point. Uh, yeah. short, it's short term. That's true. Not right? a long term. Yeah, that's true. You got to spend the money on him or Correa? We're going to get to Carlos momentarily. Okay. Shortstop Trey Turner and the Philadelphia Phillies agreed on an 11-year, $300 million oh, contract. Geez. 11 years, $300 million. How are we still going to be in the Correa sweepstakes then? Come on, man. Were we waiting for the Correa domino to fall? Uh, Or the Turner domino to fall? So that's what's going on in Philly. Rocco joined uh, Sirius XM, MLB Network Radio, and whoever the host is, Kevin Kernan, Tim Kirkchin, John Smoltz, not sure. Ron Coomer. Coom Dog, we should talk to Coom Dog sometime. Oh, wow. We'll do a Coomer catch up. Um, talked about um, what's going on with Carlos. It doesn't seem like it's any secret from your comments at the end of the year to Derek Falvey's to Thad Levine's to everything that's with this offseason. It's like, we want Carlos Correa back, which is really cool. Yeah, it, it is cool. And, you know, a lot of the times, um, you know, sometimes you spend time and, you know, you figure out like what you like and, you know, you, you learn a lot, a lot about people. Um, well, we learned that we love the guy, and we learned that we would, you know, do, uh, you know, basically anything to, to bring him back and have him playing anything? shortstop for us for the next decade. And, uh, you know, we've we've been in a lot of contact. I, I actually saw him uh, two days ago. And, really? Uh, yep. We, we grabbed a, uh, a group uh, of us, grabbed a, grabbed a really good meal and, and talked about a few things, too. So, you know, there's um, I think there's still a, a real chance that Carlos is... Uh, a twin for a very long time, but you know what? Um, it all has to make sense, and we want our players happy when they uh, when they come in. And uh, you know, he's not joining us; he's re- he would be rejoining us, and right. um, that's kind of what we're we're looking for. But uh, we will see. That's you know, that's what mm. the off season is for.
That's what the off-season is for. A really nice meal. I wonder what the meal was. That's really what well, I'm most interested in. Again, if you're spending the kind of money that gives you even a chance to be in the Korea sweepstakes, which I still don't buy, but let's, let's say I'm wrong, then realistically you probably are going to have to trade to get a pitcher because you're not going to make a second big outlay of money, right? We know how this team operates. Um, if they actually go to that well once, they're not going to that well twice. So then you're probably back to, yeah, you got to consider trading anybody who can improve your pitching because your pitching still is not good enough. Period. I don't care how many maybes you have or familiar names you have. You don't have the pitching. And when I say pitching, I mean that you can count on from a health standpoint to actually be available. The greatest ability of all, availability. Isn't that a Bud Grant saying? It might be. It's probably my favorite saying. He's going to be in studio tomorrow between 3.30 and 4.30. Yes, that Bud Grant. What's next? Dean Evison. It was calm. <laughs> it was, honestly. like, And we had a good discussion with the group after. Um, I think a lot of coaching staffs would call a timeout at some point. And Not our I staff. I guess if we didn't get, you know, we might be second-guessed. Um, but if our group wasn't going up and down the bench saying the right things and um, being calm nobody's panicking nobody's snapping um, just saying all the right things so Dean Evanson didn't feel a need to call a timeout the wild were up 5-1 in the third period but then the stars scored four consecutive goals including three in under three minutes and everybody was calm that's the composure of this wild club you think Think blowing a well, four-goal lead in the third period is going to rattle anybody on a Sunday? I don't think calm when I think Dean Evison. I'll be honest with you. That's why it's interesting. Yeah, that's why it's I like interesting. Like the way he put it. Um, so anyway, um, it was a shootout well, we victory. We did yeah. six-five um, because in the shootout, Kaprizov scored, Zuccarello scored, Freddie Goudreau scored, and the Wild have won four straight and six of the last seven. This Canadian Ubuntu road trip. Uh, where this road trip continues now in Canada, I should say. The Ubuntu has been ongoing with the road trip. Uh, Wednesday night, 7 o'clock from Calgary. So that's the uh, Minnesota Wild update after another victory right, yesterday. So four straight. Are we going to have to reconsider what we've said about the offense? I'm looking back. You, we So we get six. I guess technically it's five. But then it counts for one because you win the shootout, right? Yeah. Whatever. The game before that, we score five goals. The game before that, five goals, four goals, six goals. Um, suddenly, the team that we assumed had to be a lot better defensively because we don't have the explosive offense anymore is showing signs of explosive offense. Now, could that just be the ebb and flow of a season? I don't know. I'm sure it's something we will be able to discuss with Luigi tomorrow. Yeah, he'll join at 515. Uh, Johnny Athletic is going to join on Wednesday this week, and he will uh, help preview the game against the Pacers at Target Center. The Wolves, the last time out, Saturday night, lost to the Oklahoma City Thunder, 135-128. Rudy Gobert was tossed from that game for tripping somebody. And today it was announced... D'Lo was also tossed for that game because we lead the league in technicals apparently. And D'Lo today was fined $20,000 for directing inappropriate language for a game official. Whoa. Your guy Joe Dumars, the executive vice president and head of basketball operations for the NBA announced today. So D'Lo find 20 grand. The Wolves uh, lose to the Thunder on, uh, that was Saturday night I think, right? And they, uh, they've they got the Pacers on Wednesday. Was that Saturday night? I don't think it was last night. Was, oh, no, Devin wasn't last night. Was it Friday night? 
No. no. It was over the weekend, yep. and um, our defense was putrid. Again, Rudy deserved to get tossed. The officials weren't great, but the defense was a lot worse again. You know, it's the old a couple steps, step and a half forward, and then we take uh, two significant steps backwards as well. And you can get hung up on officiating and this call and that call and the refs, or do they overreact? You can do all that if you'd like, but you can't give up what they gave up defensively and be taken seriously about other issues being at the top of the list for why we lost that ball game. Uh, we've got Patrick Peterson to get to, so I'll do a quick gopher roundup here. Uh, 31 points, 22 rebounds. That was Zach Eady's line yesterday. for he the was Bill Walton-like Purdue, yesterday. Purdue Boilermakers 89-70 victory over the gopher men's basketball team. Uh, on the women's side, freshman Mara Braun was named Big Ten Freshman of the Week again after a nice week against Wake Forest and a, a tremendous game against Penn State. 26 points there. And Gophers learned yesterday they will represent the Big Ten in the Pinstripe Bowl on Thursday, December 29th. One o'clock kickoff right here on the fan against Syracuse. Center John Michael Schmitz, by the way, also named a finalist. For one the, o'clock kick? One o'clock kick. I'm off the hook then. On the 29th. Right? You should be. Or is that not necessarily so? Well, no, not well. Yeah. Uh, college games are four hours. I think there's five. I think there's a wild game that day as well. Oh, that's great. Um, the top center in college football is what the Remington Trophy is about. Yeah. And John Michael Schmitz was named a finalist for that today. So, uh, by the you way, go. did you see uh, the number updated number of players that have entered the college football transfer portal uh, as of if that tweet is today? the same tweet that you that I just got? Yeah, seven hundred and four. Seven hundred and four. Yeah, it's a, it's available. It, it is, is a, the wild, wild west. And if we are comparing eras, that's the one thing Mace obviously didn't have to deal with. Now it can go both ways. If you use it right, it can be helpful, uh, but it can also obviously be used. Against you, so you get the pinstripe, which is kind of what you expected. It is what I and expected. we play uh, Syracuse, right? You got it. Can't wait. It'll be a good one. You're gonna do fan line after the game because you'll be working that. Day. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be adverse to that. I would join you for a segment for a wine line uh, segment. Yeah, yeah. Who's starting at QB? Do we know? Is it official? I, he opened the door a little bit to Tanner playing some yesterday. He did? Yeah, in the bowl announcement. Combo pie. I bet Tanner plays My a little bit. My guess is it ends up being a combo play. Yeah, let him play. Yeah, why not? Yeah, let, let him play. play. Let, let him go out. Play. Yeah, it's yeah. not a problem. You can mix and match. Gives the defense something else to think about. Think about it. Yeah, we're not going to name the starter. You can't game plan yeah. for Tanner Morgan without game planning for him. That's, you know that. you got to give him something to plan for. All right, we do need to get out because we're going to replay our discussion with Vikings cornerback Patrick Peterson, who was outstanding as always when he joined us at the top of the show. For those heading home, here's your bonus with Patrick. That's coming up after a short pause.